My wife's grandpa was a, a pastor up, up at Bethel in Willowick, and he had a saying during Lent, thin soup. And he was talking about sermons during Lent because he got so very, very busy that sometimes the thing that got neglected was the time that he would usually have spent on a sermon. I have neglected the time that I would normally spend on a sermon because I've been making all kinds of other preparations. But hopefully there will be something in this that will be of benefit to you. Because just as thin soup provides us some nourishment, God's word always feeds us. And I want to take a closer look at John chapter 4, this account where Jesus meets a woman at the well. It starts out, it says, Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus wearied as he was from the journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour, which would be about noon. It's context, telling us what's going on. And there are a couple things I think are important to grab in here. Uh, The Pharisees noticed that Jesus' disciples are baptizing more people than John was, and they're concerned. And Jesus left. One of the documents that I read last night uh, was Luther's letter uh, to another pastor during the, uh, the Black Death. Is it okay to run away from the plague? And his answer is basically, it depends upon, you know, what your position is. It depends upon what your vocation is. You know, and he says, sometimes, yeah, it's absolutely okay. And other times it's not. And in this case, clearly, Jesus knows that, you know, even though there's danger, you know, He could stay or go. And it's not his time yet. So he goes. And that's okay. It's okay. He's not running away because, you know, he's not going to to fulfill his, his calling in his life or anything like that. He is moving on with his mission. And I think that it's interesting that as he goes away... It says he had to pass through Samaria. And there's a hint here of, of some background that the Jews at Jesus' time and the Samaritans hated each other. There's an element of racism in this story. There's also an element of sexism in the story that we're going to get to in a moment. And there's an element of how do we treat people who are scandalous in this story. And I find it interesting that they get into Samaria and it mentions Jacob's well and it says that Jesus was weary. I was weary last night. Weary with worrying about everybody and praying and coming up here and trying to set up to try to keep everybody safe and to, to have the options. And I suspect that by the time this is done, we will all be weary in different ways. And sometimes I think that when we feel weary, it's like, oh, I'm weak. If Jesus felt weary, do you think it's okay for you to feel weary? Absolutely. Absolutely. 
And so it, it goes on. It says that a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Wrong time of day. Think about, you know, when do you like to work in the yard? Noon? When it's hottest? You know, no, you, you generally try to do this first thing in the morning. And that was the, the custom at the time, that you would go out first thing in the morning to get the water. She comes at noon. It, this is already a sign that there's a social, a, a, a different kind of social distancing that's going on here. She's being shunned by her community, and she is tired of the scorn. And so she comes out at a different time. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. His disciples had gone into the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? Jesus is crossing some boundaries here. And and this is not something that would normally happen. It says, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. He's getting her attention. Uh, The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. And whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus is meeting her in just kind of the needs of life, talking about physical needs to prompt spiritual conversations. And I think that this is a strategy that we would do well to recognize that people have needs And sometimes when we meet them lovingly in their needs and we have conversations with them and and care about them, we have the opportunity not just to, uh, you know, love them in that tangible way, but to love them in a spiritual way and to have spiritual conversations with them. And that's what's getting started here. Because when Jesus is talking about living water that's coming up inside, he's not talking about, you know, H2O. That'd be weird, you know, just kind of, Um, water coming out. He's talking about faith. It's an image of the Spirit's work in us and how it bubbles up and it overflows to other people. And so as she meets him in this, or as he meets her in this conversation, he recognizes a need, a physical, tangible, tangible need and moves that into a conversation about faith. And I think that this is an opportunity that, that uh, we're, we're going to have because people are going to have needs during this time, physical, tangible needs. And we're going to be called upon to love our neighbors and to help them and, and maybe even to provide for them. I've already given up four rolls of toilet paper for my home, by the way. One, one of my kid's friends called and said, we're out. And I can't find it. And I said, we're hoarders. We have it. No, we're not hoarding it. I'm just, I'm just kidding. 
But we have some. It's like, yeah, here. God bless you. You know, and it won't be just toilet paper. There are going to be people who are going to need meals. There are going to be people who are going to need you to go grocery shopping for them. And, you know, and depending upon your place in life, that might be the right thing for you to do. And you know what? It might lead to a conversation that encourages them in their faith, if they're a brother or sister in Christ. Or it could lead to a conversation that helps them understand why you are confident to love them because of Christ and give you the opportunity to share the hope that's within you. And that is a beautiful thing. So she wants this water and Jesus says, go call your husband and come here. Things are about to get scandalous. Uh, The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. And I think there's something important here for us too. Even by today's standards, married five times, people are like, oh, how do you treat people that, that their sin is scandalous to you? And, and catch what I said there, that their sin is scandalous to you. Because we all have this, that there are certain things that we find more offensive than others, and there are some sins that aren't our sins that, you know, we look, oh, whoa, I, that's awful, that's worse than mine. How do we respond to that? And Jesus looks at this woman and he knows, he knows that her life is scandalous by the, the measure of, of her village, the measure of her community. And he touches the wound. He gets right at the hurt in her life. Go get your husband. You can almost imagine the defenses coming down I have no husband. You're right, Jesus says. You don't. You've had five. Your life is broken, dear lady. You need something different, something better than what you have been living for. And the woman said to him, and I think that there's a defensiveness in these words. Sir, I perceive perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. I think this is a big shove back. Okay, all right, I'm getting defense mode, and I am trying to shut this conversation off. And Jesus, Jesus just kind of rolls with it. And I think that this is something that's important for us, too. And it's something that I know I struggle with, uh, that when somebody gets defensive and they, they start to push, my response then is to get defensive back and to push back. Because any time that there's you know, something, even a whiff of an argument, you got to win, right? And Jesus, Jesus, you know, he basically says, you know, you're right. He says, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You're right that there is this division. And guess what? 
neither one of you has the right answer. He says, you worship what you know. We, being the Jews, we worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Sharon and I were having a conversation before uh, any of you were here. Um, And uh, that line, spirit and truth, I've always kind of imagined that, you know, that when it says we worship in spirit and truth as kind of this almost excited and I'm all in type of of a idea. You know, my spirit is completely aligned here. But in light of some of what's going on in our world right now, I'm starting to wonder if when Jesus says we worship in spirit and truth, it's out of the real desperate need of a spirit that knows its sin and its brokenness and needs the living water and needs the, the healing that Jesus comes to bring. That it isn't a matter of, yes, I know God and I know that I have come to worship, but a, a, a feeling of, oh, I know my brokenness, and I know that this, this is where I get the healing. That this is where the life that my spirit needs is present, where Jesus meets us to give us that healing. And here I think for the first time we see a glimmer of hope in the woman when she says, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. She's holding on to God's promises. The Savior's going to come. And look at what Jesus says. I who speak to you am he. The Savior is here. Do you know how many people he has told, you know, I'm the Christ before this? None. And for the first time, he's making it known to a Samaritan scandalous woman. Because God's grace and mercy abounds so powerfully. And the woman gets it. She, 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 she comes to faith in that moment. It says, just then the disciples come back and you know, they don't get it. They don't get what Jesus is doing. I kind of resonate with that. Sometimes I don't get what Jesus is doing. I don't understand how he's working in the world. And that's okay. We can trust him. But the woman, the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Can he be the Christ? Friends, I was a good boy growing up. I never got into any kind of major trouble or anything like that. But I don't want you to know everything I ever did. (laughs) But Jesus knows. And he knows everything that you've ever done. And he continues to meet you and love you. And extend his mercy, his love, and forgiveness to a person who is as scandalous as you are. Just as he did to the woman at the well.
And the woman goes back and she tells everybody. And they come and they meet Jesus. And you know what happens? They believe in him. They believe in him, not because, hey, I met this guy who, who taught me how to have the best life I could possibly have. Hey, I met this guy, and he, now my life is all in order, and I you know, got it all figured out, and I'm all perfect, and I'm better than everybody else. I met a guy who told me everything I've ever done. Could he be our Savior? Friends, when we approach people with the message of the gospel, sometimes I wonder if we're doing it wrong. If we're not coming from this position of, oh, hey, look at all the good stuff that this can do for you because we've got it all figured out and our lives are so much better and they're not as messed up as yours. But Jesus, Jesus meets this woman and the woman goes and says, come meet a guy that knows everything I ever did. By the way, you guys know what I did and it's been pretty bad. So... Wow, could this be the Savior? And maybe, maybe it's in this position of being a forgiven sinner that we find people who will be drawn to Christ. In between those two bits, there, there's a conversation that Jesus has with the disciples. And he says, look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. I know that a lot of times we look out at the world and it can be discouraging. Fewer people are coming to church. There are all kinds of things in the, in the society that have changed that are hard for people. The fields are white, brothers and sisters. And I believe they are white for a message that means they're ripe, by the way. Grain grows, gets white, then it's time to... I just want to be clear, okay, that the opportunity is there for a Jesus who meets sinners, for a Jesus who loves people who are scandalous. And maybe it's time for us to embrace that brokenness that's within us, not to indulge it, but to really know the forgiveness that Jesus won for us. Amen.